every life we have some trouble But when you worry you make it double Don't worry Be happy Yeah, you're going to be singing that all day, aren't you now? <laughs> It'll be in your brain What a nice picture though, isn't it? Just no worries, just being happy, sitting on the beach, drinking rum, whatever it is your picture of life is like that. <laughs> But it's not very accurate in terms of the way most of us live our lives, is it? We do worry, don't we? Some of us worry a lot. Any of you, are any of you self-identified worriers? Are any of you would consider yourselves? How many of you are married to a worrier? Yeah, worry... A little worry can be a good thing, can't it? It can be motivating. It motivates you to study a little harder for an exam or to use sunscreen or to put some more money in your retirement account or to quit smoking or to get a home security system. You know, a little worry can be a good thing. The problem is for many of us, though, sometimes worry just weighs us down and robs us of the joy and peace that God wants us to have in our lives. If you've been here the last three weeks, you know that we are in a four-week teaching series looking at the, the book of Philippians. Philippians is a, a letter found kind of in the middle of the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul had been urged by the Holy Spirit to go to this Roman city of Philippi. And there he had some incredible experiences that are recorded, in fact, in the 16th chapter of the, of the book of Acts. And while he's there, people become Christians. He founds a church there in Philippi. Now, years later, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's waiting uh, trial and possible execution. And he writes this profound personal, powerful letter to these friends in Philippi who are dealing with now persecution from the outside and some divisions and quarrels on the inside. And Paul wants them to be able to experience the kind of joy and peace that he's able to experience even in prison. And so in the fourth chapter of this letter that he writes, there is a paragraph in which Paul deals in such practical terms with how we can avoid worry and anxiety and live the life of peace and joy that God wants us to have. And it's that paragraph that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I thought maybe we could read it together. It's printed in your bulletin this morning. It'll be here on the screen. Um, if you've got your Bible, you could turn to it. It's Philippians chapter 4, and it's a paragraph that begins with verse 4 and goes through verse 7. Why don't we read it out loud, and maybe it'll kind of begin to sink into our minds. Let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just love the way he begins that paragraph with that encouragement, maybe even a command to rejoice. In fact, if there was a theme for this whole letter, it would probably be the theme of joy. Paul begins by saying, rejoice. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. You know, you can tell he really means it. 
But he's very specific about the kind of joy it is to be. It's not the don't worry, be happy, kind of mellowed out on drugs sort of joy. He says it's a joy that comes in relationship to Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on a phrase later to explain sort of how that takes place. He says it's because the Lord is near. I thought a lot about that these last few weeks. What does that mean that the Lord is near? I mean, maybe he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, because Paul certainly hoped and longed for the second coming of Jesus. But as I was thinking about, you know, what is near is close, right? And once I hit on the word close, I realized that makes sense to me. Maybe what he's saying is, when he says the Lord is near, that the Lord is close, like like a close friend, right? If you have a close friend, it isn't a question of, of proximity. They don't have to be close to you physically for them to be close, right? I've got a couple guys in my life that I would probably describe as my closest friends. You probably have somebody that comes to your mind, too, that if you were introducing them, you'd say, this is my, this is my closest friend. And both those guys live far away. They live hours from here. But we have shared life together, we have bonded, we trust each other, and I know if I were in trouble, if I needed them and called them, either one of them would drop everything they had and come to my aid, because they are my close friends. I think Paul is saying, you can rejoice because your close friend is the Lord. Your close friend is the Lord. So, if that's true, that I'm going to not worry, I'm not going to be anxious because Jesus is my closest friend, how do I move then from anxiety and worry to peace and joy? And Paul tells us how it happens. It's going to surprise you. You maybe never thought of this, but he says the process by which that happens is prayer. Yeah. That through prayer, we move from worry and anxiety to rejoicing and to having peace in our hearts. I've become convinced the older I get, now let me rephrase that, I've become convinced the more mature I become that worry and anxiety come not because of the situation that I'm facing, they come because of an incorrect view of my close friend Jesus. That it's not how I understand the situation, it's what I understand about Jesus that is going to allow me to move from worry and anxiety to peace and joy. I've got to be sure that my understanding of who this close friend of mine is, is correct. And I wanted to illustrate this this morning in a, in a pretty practical way by doing a trust fall. You know, where I fall over backwards and guys catch me. And I ask a couple guys if they, would, if they would catch me. If you guys would come on up. We're going to try that and see if we can illustrate how that works. So I'm going to, I'm going to fall over backwards. Um, Delon, Rex, why, no, why don't you stand like right over here? I'm not going to fall all the way off, this, off the platform. Yeah, okay, oh, that'd, be, that'd be good. Yeah, like right there. And then I'm going to fall over backwards and you guys are going to catch me. Aren't you? <laughs> yes, we're going to do this now. So I'm going to count to... Th- I might just also mention um, that if anything happens to me, one of you will have to finish the sermon. Let that... Uh, just, just keep that in mind. Okay, so on the count of three, you guys are ready, aren't you? Okay, all right, here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. Whoa, nice. We went way down, didn't we? <laughs> Let's try it again. Can we go farther than that? Sure, he says. He says. The catcher says, sure. 
All right. Here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, my goodness. That was awesome. Thanks, you guys. That was great. Let's give them a hand. Now, some of you may be wondering, why did I pick those two guys? I mean, a lot of you know my closest friend, the person I trust most in life, is my wife, Sally. Why did I choose Sally? A lot of you know Sally. She's this lovely, five foot two, arthritic, 71 year old woman. <laughs> I mean, I could have chosen Sally. She could have come here and tried to catch me. What would have happened? I'd be lying here in a pool of blood. I wanted to be sure that if I was going to get some people that I was going to trust to catch me, I wanted guys who were big enough and strong enough that I could have confidence that they could do what they needed to do. Isn't that what I look for in my, in my best friend, my closest friend, Jesus? If I'm going to come to God in prayer, lay out before him the needs of my life, if I'm going to try not to worry and be anxious, I want to believe that God is able to do the things that I need for him to do. Is he? He is, isn't he? It's one of the key concepts of the Bible. What do we so often refer to God as? The Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? The Lord God Almighty. It means that God can do anything, that he is all-powerful, that there is nothing in the universe that God cannot do. And there's never going to be a situation in your life where you are worried and anxious and you come to God and God is going to say, ooh, well, I'd like to help, but that, that one's too big for me. You know, that's, a, that's an impossible situation. Never going to happen. God is never going to respond that way because God is all-powerful. He is almighty. What an amazing thing to believe that my closest friend, the Lord, is almighty. As I was thinking about this morning, who's catching, I wasn't sure who was going to be here, you know, spring break, and, and I saw then that, that Michael Rogers was going to be leading worship this morning. I thought, great, I could, ask, I could ask Michael to be one of the... And then I realized, Michael doesn't like me very much. I mean, let's, let's, he's jealous. He's jealous of me. Let me just say it. He has a six-string guitar. I have a 12-string. It's just gotten kind of nasty. So I thought, nah. you know, if I pick Michael, he's back there, you know, one, two, three, you know, and there I'd be. I want to be sure the guys that I chose like me, you know, that they care about me. Isn't that something that I want from God as well? If I'm going to not be worried and anxious in the situations I'm going through, don't I want to believe that this best friend, this closest friend, Jesus, that I go to loves and cares about me? There are a lot of aspects of the Christian life that you may have doubts about, that you may have trouble believing. The Bible says there is one thing that you don't have to have any doubts about because it has been proven, and it is that God loves you. It's exactly what the Bible says. God proved, underline that, God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was proven to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. What we're going to be celebrating on Good Friday as we look at the death of Jesus and his resurrection on Easter Sunday is that proof. The Bible says greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Did you catch that? 
While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't wait. He wasn't determined. You know, once you get your life straightened out, once you get rid of all the sin and disobedience, once you love me perfectly, then I'll love you in return. God proved his love for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's never going to be a time when I'm struggling with something in my life and I'm experiencing worry and anxiety and I'm going to have to wonder whether or not God loves me and cares about me. Because those thoughts are going to come. We're going, does God really care? Does God really love me? Remember that the Bible says God proved his love for us. Another thing I was thinking about is I was going to get some guys to catch me. I wanted to pick guys who are going to be smart enough, you know, that they'd know what I expected of them. I didn't want somebody, you know, who didn't understand the instructions, who thought maybe this was just a practice. Oh, we were supposed to catch you. I didn't understand that, right? I want to believe that God is that way too. That God always knows what is best. So that when I can come to him, because sometimes when I'm in a tough situation, you've probably experienced this too, sometimes I don't even know what the right answer is. I almost don't even know how to pray to God. And that's why I'm so glad that God is all wise, that he sees the big picture, that he knows me better than I know myself, that he knows the future. I've had times in my life in which I prayed very specifically for God to do something, and I prayed and prayed earnestly about it, and God didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. And then years later, I've looked back on that event, and I've thought to myself, I am so glad that God did not do what I asked him to do. I am so glad. That would have been terrible. God knew better than I knew myself. God always knows the best thing. So Paul is saying in this paragraph, rejoice in every situation because your closest friend Jesus is powerful and loving and good and wise. So then, how do I go about taking my worry and anxiety and and bringing Jesus to bear on that situation. And Paul tells us in verse 6, let's look at that verse again. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The process of prayer, he says, is the way by which we bring Jesus to bear in the situations that cause us worry and anxiety. He says, in every situation. You think that's true? Every situation in life, if it's worrisome to you, you can bring it to God. I, I sometimes think I ask too many things of my friends. I'm not, there's a lot of stuff I'm not good at. I'm not good at handyman kind of stuff. You know, I'm not allowed to use power tools. And so I have some friends who are really good about that. And so something breaks at home and I don't know what to do with it. And Sally will say, well, why don't you call so-and-so? And I say, oh, I hate to bother him again, you ever sort of have that attitude carry over to God? Oh, I hate to bother God again with this problem. But if it's worrisome to you, if it's causing you anxiety, God wants you to bring it to him. Paul says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, let your request be known to God. In every situation, if you care about it, God cares about it. And you can take it to him and believe that God wants you to do that. It's not burdensome to God. He doesn't object. In fact, remember what Jesus said? He said, ask. Ask. And it will be given you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everybody who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So Paul says the process by which we move from worry and anxiety to joy and peace is in our praying, bringing our petitions to God, to our closest friend, Jesus Christ, who is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing. And then, Paul says, an amazing thing happens. And that's what he describes in that final verse, verse 7. Look at that. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when I realize the kind of God I have, the kind of God, the relationship I have with him, then I begin to experience his peace and his joy in my life. But Paul says there's a little phrase in there that's going to make a difference. When he says, present your petitions, your prayers and petitions to God, he says, with thanksgiving. Present your petitions, your prayers to God with thanksgiving. That's pretty important. When we're praying, our prayers are not always just asking God for things. We're not trying to wear him down. Give me, give me, give me, give me, please, 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 until finally God says, all right, all right. It's not arm-wrestling God and trying to bend his will to ours. That when we pray, part of my attitude needs to be one of thanksgiving. See, the Bible says, and it's so important to believe and so hard to believe, the Bible says that every good thing you have comes from God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I, I have to remind myself of this, and I'm going to keep reminding you of this as well. The good things you have in life, you don't have because you earned them. And you don't have them because you deserve them. You have them because you have a loving Heavenly Father who cares about you and delights in giving good things to His children. And when I have that attitude, when in the midst of the storm and the worry, I take a breath and I stop and I think how good God has been to me, how much He has given to me, it makes it so much easier for me to lay my needs before Him and trust that He will do what is right and best And so Paul says when we do that then, God, he says, plants a guard around your heart and your mind. And that word in Greek actually means like setting a bodyguard, you know, around you, like you were a presidential candidate or something. You know, you've got bodyguards around you. God is going to guard your heart, which can be so torn by worry and anxiety. It's going to guard your mind. You know how when you're worried and anxious, it just plays over and over and over again, and you can't get it out of your mind. The Bible says, you know, God will present a guard around you to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to wrap this up by just moving a little bit deeper real quickly and, um, and maybe a little more honest uh, or a deeper kind of honesty. There's, a, there's an incident that takes place in Jesus' life that always 
moves me really deeply. Jesus and three of his disciples have gone up on a, on a mountain and Jesus has been changed before them. He just sort of explodes in glory and brightness and he shines like the sun and we call it the transfiguration. And then Jesus and the disciples, that ends, and they come down the mountain. There's a lot of people there. The other disciples are there. And there's a dad there who has brought his son to Jesus for healing. And the disciples aren't able to heal him. The deal is that the son is demon-possessed, and that demon possession manifests itself in some terrible, destructive ways. The dad says the demon even you know, throws him into the fire sometimes. And this dad is desperate, and he comes to Jesus. And he says, you know, if you, if you can, would you heal my son? Jesus says, yeah, if you can. And Jesus says, everything is possible to him who believes. And then this dad, and get that picture in your mind, this is a dad who is desperate. Every day he watches his son suffer from this demon possession that is going to kill him. And his only hope is Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, everything is possible to him who believes. And then the, the dad, this desperate dad, says to Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. It is so honest. I believe Jesus, but oh, there's still doubt in me. And I have the feeling, even if you decide you're going to try to do what Paul tells us to do, not to worry and not to be anxious, but to take our, our, our petitions to the Lord, you're still going to worry some. And I find, I often have to say to Jesus, I believe, I believe, but there's still doubt in me, you know. I trust you, Jesus. I'm not going to worry. But there's still a little worry in me, you know. I believe that you are my closest friend, but there's a little fear still in my heart. Scientists tell us that when you worry continually, it actually rewires your brain so that worry and anxiety become your default mode. And immediately when you're in a situation that would cause worry, that's what you do. And that's probably not going to change overnight. But I believe that if we follow these steps that Paul has given to us, we can begin to move away from that paralyzing life of worry and anxiety to the kind of life of joy and peace that we know God wants us to have. The other night I was going over my teaching in my head, lying in bed. I don't do it out loud. Sally doesn't like that. And and God brought to mind a song that I probably had not sung in um, 20 years. Some of you maybe have never even heard it before. I hadn't heard it in a long, long time. And I was a little surprised when I thought of it. It's a song that says, What a friend we have in Jesus. Right there, our closest friend. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's an old hymn. It's been around the church for a long time. I want you to listen now to a, a newer song. It really captures in some ways so beautifully what we've been talking about uh, this morning, what Paul has written to us about. And one of the lines that just kind of evokes that in me is a line that says, you know, we're asking God to give us the heart of a child. Because when I think about faith and trust, I think about a little child 
who has no worries and no anxieties because she totally trusts her mom and dad. I want to have that kind of relationship with my heavenly father, with my best friend Jesus as well. Listen to this song, see if it speaks to you as well.
What a great picture. Little child running to his daddy. You know? Can you believe that that's what God wants us to do to him? To run to him in our need and find him faithful? Let's pray. Sometimes we do a good job on the head part. You know, we believe the right stuff. But sometimes in our hearts, uh, we struggle. Worry and anxiety can just weigh us down. Help us to have that kind of relationship with you, Jesus, our Lord, as our best friend, and to know that we can come to you in any situation and find you faithful.